Welcome to the podcast where together, every Monday, we explore hospitality in its very broader sense. From culture and cooking, cocktails and coffee, nutrition and farming, politics and animal welfare, organic and sustainability, family and business, entrepreneurship, and much, much more. Come and learn with me, Mark Cribb, about where our food and our drink comes from and the businesses and more importantly the human beings that thrive on where we decide to spend our time and our money. Sign up to our weekly newsletter at humansofhospitality.co.uk and hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice. As the casual dining sector in general continues to navigate through turbulent times, it's been fascinating to see the continued growth of the street food scene. There seems to be a trend in specialising in one or two dishes and being great rather than big. But whilst the consumer is loving the informality, quality, regularly changing dishes, a keen price point and an often ethical and impassioned owner, they still desire a space to sit, somewhere to enjoy some drinks with friends and maybe spend a couple of hours on a night out or a longer lunch, rather than just a few minutes refueling on the street. So curating spaces, communal eating and easy access, energised environments for street food vendors to congregate en masse makes a great deal of sense. Add to that an artisan food market, education programme, social conscience and much more and you start to get into the headspace of this week's guest, Andrea Raska. Andrea says that on paper his venture, Mercato Metropolitano, or MM for short, should not exist. He doesn't advertise, he doesn't use sponsors or banks, and he certainly doesn't worry about footfall. And that's because the first two sites of his city markets in London's Elephant and Castle and Mayfair welcome thousands of people each week. They're drawn to MM not only for the deliciously nutritious food and drink, but also the live music, cookery classes, and at the time I recorded this conversation, even a travelling circus. As he builds his MM movement through word of mouth, Andrea wants each of his Mercatos to become a thriving community. Here, the simple act of sharing a tasty meal will help to combat social isolation and food inequality, and at the same time encourage talented men and women to turn their cooking skills into successful enterprises. And with interest from cities like Berlin, Paris, New York and Boston, Mercato Metropolitano could well be the next business model in hospitality and food retail, challenging the traditional high street of big brands and formulaic dining. Enjoy this thought-provoking conversation with a man who describes himself as chief executive dreamer, and who also has the drive to make those dreams come true. Andre Resca, thank you for sparing the time to be on the podcast. It's hugely appreciated. My pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure. Can you just explain for people listening, uh, they'll be able to hear a bit of background noise. Where on planet Earth are we, Andrea? Can you set the scene? Absolutely. We are in an uh, ex-abandoned factory. Actually, it was, I think it was the, it was uh, one of the newspaper factory where they were printing papers and when they showed it to me here in Elephant and Castle I was just wandering around with my friends looking for location they showed me this abandoned place without water without energy without electricity and it was full of junkies basically Um, and I loved it from the first moment because what we really love is to find places which are full of history full of uh, contents and uh, full of life but they've been forgotten how long had it not been used for i think more than 15 years wow 
something like that. And I was lucky enough to meet uh, the owner of this place, which is Peabody. And uh, we immediately agreed that I should uh, take it over. And they were incredibly collaborative. And you know that it's not that easy to find uh, real estate people who are, on average, clever. And uh, these people were uh, stunning. We immediately agreed on a project. And we, in one month we agreed, and in three months I opened. Wow, really? That, that, that's a story. And okay. I've never seen a, a real estate like this that's in my impressive. life. They yeah, have, they have that's vision. impressive. They have vision. Okay. They have vision. So can you describe what it is now then, for people who've not been here? What is Mercato it? is basically a concept where you have uh, a side where you eat food. So we have more, in this moment, more than 43 different vendors. And they're all small talents. When I say you use the, small, the word small, there is a reason. Um, we don't like big. And in food business, I believe that this is what has ruined most of our lives. And even if we are a big place, we are composed of small units. So at the end, we are just a platform for new talents. And uh, we have 43 new talents and we basically incubated in the last three years more than 70 new concepts because it's a big incubator, Mercato. Eh? Mm -hmm. It gives you opportunity to anyone to start with very little money and to try their products or their concept and to make people taste their products yeah. without a big investment. You know that in London it's almost impossible to open your own restaurant. In a place like this of uh, approximately 4,500 square meters, we can share the cost of everything, from utilities to the rent, to the business rates, to electricity and uh, security. So for everyone, it's easier to start their own business. So we have approximately 43 different kind of vendors who cook different kind of cuisine. And I'm a very, very careful about who we choose from the point of view of the origin of the product or of the recipe. So we want to include as many countries as possible. And then we want to include as many ways of cooking and preparing food as possible. And we want also to balance it with the main ingredient of each vendor. So if we have too many people making pasta or carbohydrates, then we balance it with someone making more proteins, preparing food with more proteins, which can be pulses or meat, whatever. And we balance it. In this moment, we have 20% uh, of Italians which is what you need for the perfect recipe of everything. For everything in life, yeah. In life. <laughs> and then you have uh, local people coming here. So we have, when we say local in London, it means uh, British, Maybe, yeah. Indians, uh, Chinese, Japanese, obviously. But we have a big biodiversity, which is fundamental for everything, for our lives. And uh, so you can come and eat. You go to each uh, shack, you order what you want, and you eat. Very easy. <laughs> but also we have another side, which is where you can buy products to cook at home. So we have a grocery store where we try to collect as many beautiful and chemical-free products that you can buy. Uh, let's not forget that this place is absolute. We banned plastic, single plastic use from day one. Amazing. And uh, we don't serve anything which contains chemicals, which means that uh, 
We source everything very carefully, but we're going to talk about this because it's a big we are, process. That's, that's, that's hard, isn't it? That's In the modern farming it, world, how do you know it, sometimes? But yes, we will come it, to that without Sometimes doubt. it's a nightmare, yeah, difficult. that's the only way to go. Yeah, no, I agree with you. There's 100%. no alternative. Yeah. And so you can buy your stuff, everything you want to prepare, but you can also learn how to cook it. And also we have a kitchen. So it's a concept of eat, buy, learn. This is what MM is yeah, about. Okay. It's a big incubator. But at the end of the day, the most important thing, and I was asked this by BBC, I think, uh, two years ago, what is the best, the most important ingredient of the Italian or Mediterranean diet? And they asked me, is it olive oil? Is it red wine? Yes, yes, yes. Plus sharing your food with people, cooking with people. Whatever you put in your body, whatever you eat, if you eat it with someone else, I can bet, and this cannot be proven, obviously, but honestly, I don't care, <laughs> that whatever you ingest, it will make you stronger if you eat it with someone else. Because your aptitude is towards a better way of consuming your products. You are happier. You are talking with people instead of being in front of a TV alone. And isolation is one of the biggest issues we can tackle through places like this. So that is also why we do not have a Wi-Fi. If you need Wi-Fi, you can go to any Starbucks. You don't go for the coffee, you go for the Wi-Fi. In a place like this, you can because we have big tables and you sit with your friends. We forgot about this. I think this is probably, together with incredibly good food and a good source, the best thing we are doing for this community is fighting isolation. Come here and eat with your friends. And there is, and it's so, so inclusive, you don't pay to enter. If you come, you can just have a coffee because that day you are, maybe you ran out of money, like it happened to me when I was a student, but you want to hang out with your friends, so you just eat a gelato. And you do not have to tell people that you cannot go out with them because they go to a restaurant, you have, do not have the money to do it. In a place like this, you don't have to say anything. You just eat a gelato, it's just three pounds, and you can stay with your friends. So imagine what it means for the psychology of people and the anthropological approach of the community around us. Mm -hmm. This is something we are achieving, and I think it's one of the things I'm most proud of. I think that's, a, that's an awesome start to a podcast. I think some people are just born for hospitality, aren't they, Andrea? And clearly it oozes out of you. You get the fact it's not about what you eat or what you drink. Whilst that's important, it's about connection and community and, and, and people. Absolutely. and What you eat friends. is the means and it yeah. represents who you are. Yeah. But apart from that is the way you welcome people. Mm. So hospitality has always been in our DNA. I don't know, maybe we are also Italian, so there is a part of this, and uh, we've been used to this. My mother, my grandmother, always cooking. I was cooking with them, or more than cooking, eating what they were cooking. And we always had a lot of people at the table, friends, cousins, or whoever. And if I had some friends at home, for any reason, my mother would say, okay, can I cook for all of you? So this is part of who we are. <laughs> And since I was six, uh, what I loved the most was to go to the markets, local markets, and see these incredible colorful uh, shacks with olives, with fruits, and I would buy something. And then I would organize parties at home, uh, even with my uh, school mates. Obviously, my mother was cooking for me, but I was organizing parties since I was six. And I loved to share, it was, they were all based on food. And uh, we, we love to eat together. 
So mm. this is just uh, something that I've been doing all my life. And now I had 30 friends when I was at school. Now I got this year 4 million people coming only to the location in Elephant and Castle. Wow, that's impressive, isn't it? It's your destiny. I was going to ask it. So I've just been for a walk around before I met you and, and it's amazing. Three-dimensional kind of colour. There's elephants. There's kind of a big circus rocket. There's lots of banners. It's very three-dimensional. Nooks and crannies. I walked for, you know, I don't know, 10 minutes and, and didn't recognise anywhere left and right. How many people can come in at one time? How big at is this? At one place? time we have the maximum capacity of uh, 2,500 people. Right, okay. Which is what we reach every Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So there are people, unfortunately, I hate it, but it's fire regulation. Nah. And they have to queue outside for almost one hour. Uh, so imagine, means that every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we always have 2,500 people at 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock in the evening. Yeah. And on a normal uh, weekend, uh, uh, during a Saturday, we reach easily the 20,000 people. Okay. So that's... Yeah. I can see why fire might be an issue in the fact you are a carpenter's dream. I walked around outside and I have a big terrace outside in, in my restaurant in Bournemouth and I was like, wow, we need, to get, we need to get a bit more inventive with our covers. All of your corrugated roofs, every nook and cranny is a little seat or some planting. We use recycled material. Yeah, amazing. We there was a bar made of old uh, beer kegs and bricks and all sorts of stuff. You don't need so marbles. Cool. Yeah. The more marble you use, the more you're trying to hide something else. That's my vision of hospitality. Yeah. When you have to concentrate too much on the, on the visual and the material you use to make a, a kitchen or just, uh, the, or just a table, it means that you're not spending enough time about uh, on uh, quality of ingredients, of training your people, on giving the right atmosphere. You will see that our, our tables, they, I think they cost 30 pounds each because we use uh, the wood we normally use, a, a carpenter would use when we build something, and we just assemble them. No one has ever complained about this because they concentrate, they know that we are putting all of our effort in the food we are serving and the service we are giving. So people come and they realize that, I remember the beginning when they used to come at the, at the start and we were asking, oh, wonderful food, I like the pasta, I like the kebab, can I drink a Coca-Cola? And there are not big... Uh, anti-ADV ads here, but we just say, no, we don't serve it. Oh, why is that? Because it's not an healthy product, easy. It doesn't mean that we are against Coca-Cola. Drink it once in a while, it's fine. It's just that this is my life. Yeah, that's no, nice. Here, and I don't am, want it. am I right in saying that you confiscate it at the door if you yes, turn up with one? Yes, we confiscate it at the door. I love that. We put a you're, number. That's when, I, that's when I, I messaged you last <laughs> night and said, you're my new hospitality hero. I was like, anyone is brave enough to just go, no, Why? not in here, not in uh, my what, space. What I say is that Coca-Cola is everywhere. Is yeah. in every single corner. Can I please breathe? That's what I need. I need yeah. to breathe. Yeah. Can I be myself? I don't want to be forced. And when people used to come here and tell me, no, you need to sell this or sell that. If not, your clients would not come. I would say, I hope so, because we already have 4 million people. I don't need more clients. Yeah, yeah, true. So, is it, it the same with beer? Do you not do any of the big national beer beers? Absolutely Ooh, zero. Everything is brewed, is brewed here with a system that we implement because the water of London, whatever they tell you, not in only London, in every big city, is not the best water you can drink. No. Um, and there's no way we can really purify it at the highest level anymore because of the technology of our textiles. So if you now buy a beautiful uh, T-shirt, uh, gym T-shirt, you will find nano, not even micro, nano technology of silver inside molecules 
which will uh, help you, your t-shirt, not smell of sweat, basically. But this was not thought before. So when you wash it, some of these particles come out and they go into the drains and into the water. So you find yourself polluted by nano molecules of uh, silver or plastic. So the only way to really purify water in the best possible way is through, guess what? Nature, evaporation. So we have a machinery here that we used to use in the Maldives to test how to turn salty water into sweet water for the developing countries. We are using the same technology. So we purify the water and we create the best possible water for the brewing of the beer. Then we add, obviously, the minerals needed because this is a Bavarian kind of beer, which means you cannot put it in a can. You cannot put it in a bottle because it's a live product. Uh, live means that it's full of bacteria, full of enzymes, which when you drink them, it makes you feel better. It's like a yogurt at the end of the day because we forgot about food. When you drink a beer in a can, it's a dead product because you pasteurize it. So our first fight is to give back the right food to people, which is, needs to be nutritious. It's not just something to... To, to feed you or to put in your stomach. You need to give you something which is good for you. This is hospitality. If I try to sell you something because I want to make money, but I don't care about your health, this is not hospitality. This is the greed of corporations who are killing the planet. So the beer we make here is freshly brewed here every single day. That's impressive because that's a lot of beer. You produce enough on site. We, we to need to find just to give you small numbers, uh, this year they are selling more than 4.5 million pounds of beer only in this location. Wow. So we That's need a... to find other, lo other, other spaces to produce more. Yeah, I bet. Because people appreciate the fact that they're drinking something which is healthy. Yeah. We forgot about this. Healthy. Yeah, no, absolutely. Have you spoken to, uh, do you know Toast Ale? The guys making beer out of bread. We are actually working also with them. Are you? Okay, And uh, we've been selling some of their beer because they are fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the moment in which any of these beers go into the retail system, we stop buying them. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I interviewed Rob uh, a couple of weeks ago for the podcast. And, and I love ethos. what he's doing. Yeah, I love, but love what the moment doing. in which you compromise, yeah. that's my point of view. Yeah. Huh? But I think the concept of uh, using waste product, using bread, you know, so it, I don't think they want to be the right. only people no, to do it. They're no. quite happy to open source it and say, look, I, um, you guys do the same. And I so, uh, encourage them to do different, so. Different, different in the moment in which you conspire and get together with big retailers who've been till now killing. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people every year, yeah. then I can't agree with you anymore. Yeah, I, We I, need to really make a complete change. We cannot just compromise. Hmm. We need to completely change. We are killing our planet. Hmm. We are killing people. 500,000 people die every year in the UK only of diabetes. So unless we stop and we change completely the paradigm, we cannot continue like this. Do you think it's a lack of uh, knowledge? Because uh, one of the reasons for doing this podcast is I wanted to, uh, to talk to people so that I believe that people make decisions subconsciously rather than consciously. And they don't know, they don't have the information. So they walk down the high street and on autopilot and they pull into one of the big brands or one of the big retailers. Are you optimistic that through education you can change people's behavior or is it inevitable? No, no, and is it, is it the consumer optimistic. or is it the retailer's fault? It's a government, first of all. It should be the government. 
and healthy, sound, responsible government should address this. Not by banning uh, KFC advertisements on buses. That's, that's not enough. Or uh, you, you need to do more. So by creating a space like Mercato, MM, we are doing this, actually. We are creating a space which is free from. So instead of telling people, don't drink this, don't drink that, this is not the right way to educate people. Imagine a small, a young kid. Don't eat that. The first thing he wants to eat is that. Yeah. So just by giving a positive example, you induce people to think differently. So in this place, we don't tell you not to drink Coca-Cola. We just ask you not to come with a drink or a plastic bottle because here we are free from. And if 4 million people come here every year and we've been growing 70% year on year in a moment in which many chains are closing, not in a moment of incredible economic uh, wave, uh, positive wave, actually it's the opposite. It means that people, yes, mm. we can educate people and people love what we are doing. Mm. It's just that the, the system that has been implemented in now after the green revolution in USA, so in the last 70 years basically, was made to brainwash people, to make them think that anything you find in a supermarket is food. It's not is not 90% of what you find in a supermarket just don't buy it because it's a it's a chemical uh, alternative to real food and of course it's cheap because it's not food so people think that sometimes four pounds per kilo of bread is expensive it's not because uh, you have to eat two slices of that to make you feel incredibly better and healthy instead you have to eat a loaf of 70 cents uh, bread, so-called bread, because it's again it's a mixture of chemicals which are made in, in 30 minutes. Mm? A normal bread would take at least 24 hours to make, at least 24 hours with with lively yeast and sourdough, sourdough etc., yeah. and heritage seeds, possibly full of proteins. So when you eat it, you feel stronger. Instead, you are eating something which is slowly killing you. And they make you think that it's food. It's not food. So we should ban them. That's the point. Whatever you find in a supermarket, imagine this, one of the most stupid things. When you enter a supermarket and then you find three or four shelves when they write on top of it, healthy food. So my question is, it's 1% is healthy food, what's the rest? 99%, what is it? Why do you have to call it healthy food? Because you know that all the rest is not healthy. So we need to really make a change. And in Mercato Metropolitano, we are not compromising. We are making a change. Yeah. And the trouble is in the supermarkets, is it, well, I suppose in, in food in general, is nobody can uh, trademark an apple or a banana. Nobody writes high fibre on a banana, do they? So, But on a cardboard box, you've got all that space to write the nonsense and say high in this, high in that. But yeah, you've got to get back to whole foods, basically. To, when you Basically, uh, and there was a beautiful book from uh, Poland where he says, just buy what your grandmother yes, can recognise as food. The Omnivore's Dilemma. That yes. one was it. Yeah, it's a great book. Uh, a great book, obviously. Mm -hmm. And very simple, very easy. The other one, obviously, is uh, Petrini with Slow Food. But uh, again, I like all of these ideas. Same. But my point of view, because I'm from Milano, which means I make things happen, I'm a pragmatist, mm -hmm. I created a space, instead of talking about this, I created a space which goes along with my values. Yeah. And um, if you look at the, at the number, I don't know if you read the last number of the Lancet report on food, which states that now more people die because of food in comparison to people who smoke for the first time in history. And not because of what they eat, 
is because of what they do not eat anymore. Meaning that a, a kilo flour that you find on the shelf, which can last for two years, is not food. All essential ingredients and nutritious elements have been extracted. So the proteins, the vitamins, the minerals. And they leave you with a sterile product. With, 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 with what, and you make bread out of it. But you are not eating anything nutritious. Yeah, no life. No life in it. So we are getting weaker and weaker and weaker and dumber and dumber and dumber because it also reflects on our capacity to think the way we eat in the first six years of our lives. So you, you understand what I, when I say that I'm really angry. I get that. It comes across. Talking of bread, I, I did a podcast with Michael Stotes, who's a traditional stone ground flour. And that, you know, yeah, that, that, that sort of point that we are fundamentally taking, I forget what it's called, the endosperm Bar, or whatever. The, but the, the kind of Yeah, the kind of key bit. And, yeah. and because it makes the flour go rancid in eight weeks, it doesn't last. So they take it out and that's where all the goodness is. And it we only take it out. Rancid. For the flour. Yeah, exactly. Because it's alive. So it's crazy, yeah. But there's actually almost not enough kind of traditional flour millers in the UK. There used to be, used to be thousands, but now there's so but they're few coming left. Back. They I are think coming they're back. coming back. They are coming back. They're slowly. coming back. Yeah, there's a market there. If anybody's listening, I reckon stone ground flour is the market to get into. I'm gonna yeah. buy your flour. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, maybe you could have a little uh, stone ground flour. I'm gonna person. have oh, it. Did I read that actually yeah. that you were gonna do that? Yeah, gonna, some... We just already bought it, so yeah. we're gonna open the third mercato in Elephant Park. Yeah, and that is gonna be more of a MM factory. Yeah, which we are gonna show people from. Uh, in heritage seas, how it is transformed into pasta bread Amazing. or dim sum, whatever. Yeah, exciting. And uh, we start by buying heritage seeds yeah. that we, there are many people in UK, in France, in Italy, in Sicily in particular, which was a granary of all the Roman empire. And they're going back to the seeds that were, they're called heritage seeds. In reality are the seeds that have been forgotten after the Green Revolution. Mm. Now we have only five or six different kinds of wheats all around the world, which is again, not only bad for us, it's bad for the environment. It's good only for the big corporation mm. who cannot care less about the health of people. They just want to make more money. Mm. They're cooking, as you can uh, hear here, but we are in a it's big right, kitchen. It's good. Yeah, I love that. I love that. <laughs> so atmosphere. this is what really makes me get very angry. Yeah, not just you. Do you know Guy Watson from Riverford Organics? Yeah, so he was on this week's oh, uh, really? podcast. Yeah. So I sat in his kitchen a few weeks ago and had this conversation around carrots and the fact that he remembers going to this convention around carrots and all the all the farmers were doing was knocking the carrots on their boots to see if they broke. And he said he was there all day and he didn't see one farmer taste a carrot because taste wasn't part of it. You know, it was like, can you drop it out of a plane and will it will it survive? And if so, that's great. Great. That's that the is the biggest growth. disgrace. But the heritage carrots, the flavor, the and I, flavor, I love the, the stuff that he does. The in his, content his of sugar in a carrot, which yeah. determines the the level of taste. Mm. We forgot about it. Yeah, scary, we totally it? forgot about yeah. it. And um, that's why all of my people here working with us uh, who joined the movement, because they don't hire them, they join yeah. the movement. Yeah, good. Um, the first thing I ask them when they have to choose a new vendor, a new product, is, is it good? If you go to any retailer, they will ask you, what's the price? So they give a price to things instead of value. And this is uh, another paradox of the modern socioeconomic system. We give price to things instead of value. And uh, that's something we have to change again. Mm. So the first thing I always ask is, is it good? Okay, the second question is, it, how natural is it? The third question is, how artisanal is it? 
The fourth question is how local is it? And the fifth one, oh, if it's also organic, fine. It's not the other way around. Because I see a lot of organic places also, on the other hand. No, they, they, they just pop up like uh, mushrooms, organic, organic. Then you taste the food and it's terrible. Then you will never educate people. You cannot tell people eat this because it's healthy. It's more expensive, it's absolutely rubbish to eat, but it's healthy. No, food has to be good. Mm. And a good, a little bit of butter, good butter. A, a meat, if you know where it's sourced, it's good. We are omnivores. Then you can decide to be vegan and we have offer for vegan people. There's no problem. Everything has to be tasty. If it's not tasty, inside here you cannot find it. Yeah, good. I love it. Um, so the inspiration that started this, you spoke a little bit about your childhood in Italy, but also you did one of these first in Milan, was it? Oh, yeah. yeah. This was your, what's this, was this a test case? Or how did that come about? That was, okay. I, when I came back from Japan, I was, I, well, I created a lot of concepts before this. I've been doing this for 35 yeah. years. And um, I really started when I was studying in Japan, in Tokyo, and uh, I took my first uh, round of masters in Tokyo. And I realized that Italian food was really appreciated, incredibly appreciated. But it was not sold in the right way because we were trying to promote it through advertisements. Instead, I used to tell people, why don't you open your own small corner and you test with the people in front of you, you ask them their opinion and you transmit all your values through, I call it a container. This is a container. Mercato is a container of ideas, of concepts, of values. So I started creating a lot of concerts all around the world. I opened pizzeria from Shanghai to, to Korea, Hong Kong, uh, many things. And the last one was uh, another very famous, big, uh, at the beginning, fantastic uh, uh, concept of food, which was Italy. I love that. Every time I see that word, Italy, I, it makes me smile. Just uh, because thinking, yeah, it's, it's a great idea. It's a great and when we started, uh, the first in Torino was just marvel because it was considered to be an innovative concept with the Slow Food Association. So I went, I opened the second one in Japan. It was super successful. And, um, but I'm, as you can imagine, I'm quite uh, an integralist in this and uh, I cannot compromise. So as much as Italy is a wonderful concept and I am very happy that there is something which spread around the world because if you look at Italian chains, we do not have an Italian chain around the world, so I'm very proud of that too. I wanted to go even deeper into the selection of produce and products and to talk to people who share my values, which are, at the end of the day, the sustainable development goals of the United Nations. We are part of the United Nations Global Compact. And so I decided, coming back from Japan, I found this, uh, this opportunity during the, the Food Expo in 2015. We, Milano hosted the expo and it was on food. And when I was asked to do something inside the expo, which was a little bit outside of Milano, I don't know if you know it, it's Rome, well. the northern part of Milano, and there was nothing in Milano. And I was asked to do something there. I went and uh, in reality, what I saw was uh, some wonderful concepts and three or four main sponsors, among which McDonald's, Coca-Cola, and Auto Grill. And I said, thank you, that's not for me. I cannot uh, be together with people like this. That's it, finished. And uh, I went to talk to the railway station because there was an old abandoned uh, parking lot with a, with a small warehouse of, uh, in total was 14,000 square meter. And it was exactly the coolest area of Milan, which is the Navigli area. It was again abandoned as usual. 
And I went and they went through, you know, a tender. I won the tender and I opened in uh, one month. Something that I have designed and thought in the last 30 years. So it's not something you create like this. It's just the final point of a, a journey, a long journey on food. And I said, now this time I'm alone. I'm going to do it exactly the way I want. No corporation, no brands, nothing. I talked to 28,000 small farmers through an association. We gathered them and we opened. And uh, no advertisements, no advertising. First of all, because we had no money to do it. Second, because I don't believe you should advertise food. If you have to advertise food, there's something wrong already. People should talk about it. So word of mouth, no Wi-Fi because I had no money to do it. Um, and after the first 10 days, people started coming, little by little, word of mouth, exactly the same strategy we use here. And we reached uh, in uh, four months, 2.5 million visitors wow. with an 8 million euro sales in four months, which for a place like Milan, you have to think of a, of a city with 2.3, 2.4 million people. So amazing! It, was, it, it meant something to me. It meant that people used to come even five times per week. That was a place to be. It was so cool that when, unfortunately, we had to finish because uh, it was a six-month contract for the expo. Okay. And someone else said, oh, if Andrea can do this, we can continue. Someone else tried to do it. It's not so easy. So after three months, they had to close because they failed, unfortunately. The same space. The same space, space because it was completely open. So it was a parking lot. Okay. Going into winter, you had to build something to cover it. But the, the Milano and the mayor's office was not, let's say, open to, to give us more time, at least two years to do it. So I said, guys, let's finish it here because winter is coming. Milano is quite cold. Some people said, no, no, we have still two months and going to do it. And obviously... We are Italians, we are not like the British people. If it rains, we don't go out. <laughs> so let's not forget it, every place is different. And it was so successful that I said, okay, now let's prove it in one of the capital of food, and which was also my second city. I've been coming to London since I was 15. I'm in love with London, I totally love London, and that's where I live now. Why? Why, 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 why? There's something about London, um, which is, a kind of a bigger brother of Milano. Milano is super cool, but it's small. In London, you find uh, a 10 times bigger Milano, still classy, but also shabby chic in a way. And uh, you, you have so many different cultures, so many universities, so many musicals, theaters, and um, <clears throat> culture and arts is music in particular is something that uh, I cannot live without. So if I don't go to, uh, to see or to, to, to a musical or an opera, at least twice per month, I die. I need it. That's why in Mercato Metropolitano, we do not talk only about food, but you said you saw a circus. We have a cinema. We have an art exhibition. So music, we have three stages for music, for young talents who come and play in front of people and we offer them food obviously also so you see it's all about not only food food is just a catalyst it's food for your body food for your mind that i always look for and i think london is from my point of view 
is the center of the world in that sense. And you probably have only New York in one way and Tokyo in the other. And then again, my beautiful Milano, but in a much, much smaller version, a place where you can find this kind of uh, variables and values. And that's why I'm in love with London. Uh, probably it was also because when I came here the first time when I was 15, I was hosted by family, which was amazing. You know, it's always people who make the difference. And uh, some of my people said, some of my friends went to families where they did it for money to host kids. My family did it because they had five children and the father said, I cannot send them all abroad to learn. So I invite one person and he can talk to my kids and my kids can have a broader view of the world. So imagine how clever this guy was. English family or English family. English, English family, English families. And uh, Mr. Webb, I still remember him. And I fell in love with the place. Um, and I'm still in love with the place. There's no other place I could... I, I've been living in Tokyo, New York, Boston. I've been studying all around the places. London is London, from my point of view. So that's why I created this place in London, which is an inclusive place. We want everybody to come here. So that's why I suffer when I see walls building instead of bridges. I suffer when I see that the UK wants to leave European Union, not for political reasons, because we are all the same. Why should we listen to these politicians who want us to divide ourselves? For what reason? Let's instead get together and try to make and to build a better world, mm. all of us together. I, I have an optimism on that in the fact that I think you have these kind of mini politics going on around the world, but I think fundamentally, globally, <laughs> we have this, you know, with the likes of, uh, and, and social media does bad as well as good, but the fact that you can instantaneously communicate via Twitter with someone in America and Australia and Japan and New Zealand, I think we are becoming more connected. So I think it's complicated because on one way, we are one planet and we recognize, especially with a climate emergency, it's kind of like, if we don't all join forces and save the planet, we're not gonna be here anymore. And on the other side, yeah, you have the political I totally nuances, agree. I guess. We now have this uh, polarization, actually. We have these uh, populists from USA to, unfortunately, now in the UK and in Italy, too, by the way. And then we have this uh, new movement, which is uh, people like us, like you, like me, but also people like Greta, like uh, Young, the millennia. And there is this new movement in Italy of the Sardines. I don't know if you read about it. They just gather in, a, in every square in Italy against populism. So it's always like this. I think I'm very optimistic yeah. because there are always these two sides. Exactly. And uh, we are from one side for sure. Yeah. And we want to be all together because we are all the same. Let's not forget this. Yeah. If people yeah, make you think that we are different, yeah. we are not. No. We, are all the, we all eat, mm. sleep, love. Yeah. That's what Bill, we do. Bill Bryson's got a book called the, uh, I think it's called The Body, A Guide for Occupants. And apparently our skin, which is something like one millimeter thick, is the only bit where you can tell what race we are and what color we are. And if you take that off, we're all the same. So like just maybe one millimeter of our bodies, you know, defines I'd race like, and everything uh, else is the same. I totally agree. I'd like all these uh, fantastic um, uh, extremists to mm. go and take a DNA test. Yeah, all related. Yeah, I agree. They would be... Yeah. 
I've done one. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. Uh, yeah, it's fascinating. We all, we all come from we one place. We all come back from one place, yeah. Um, you also uh, speak a lot about the kind of inequality of food. And it, did you mm. notice in London, I know you do some work with the school kids and stuff, trying to get them in to talk about uh, food and hunger and stuff. But is that something that's particularly yeah. rife in London? And was that a motivation for coming here? Or It's not the motivation. What I, I, I honestly did not expect this inequality in London. And when I started working here in Elephant and Cass in particular, that's where I found it and um, and that's one of the purposes of Mercato what we want to do in terms of social impact and charity <clears throat> it has to be always in around the community where we build our own market so it's not that we don't we're not interested in what's happening in Africa but I always believe that we should first solve what we can solve around us because sometimes when you think of something which is very far it's kind of trying to find an excuse not to do what you have to do. And uh, so we said, why don't we organize teams? So we've been talking to all the residents association, to all the schools around here with the council. And uh, we found that there's so much to do. I mean, there are people who can, uh, kids who cannot have three meals per day in London. And some of them cannot have one meal per day. So the poverty line, and I think this is one of the reasons why UK is a little bit in distress now. <clears throat> and as you know, they use a subject to attract the attention of someone, the Brexit, but that's not the problem. The problem is uh, bad government till now. That's the real stuff. And there are, from the special report of the United Nations, there are millions of people under the poverty line in UK. That's why people are not uh, satisfied. So I totally understand them when they're angry and they want to get out of the European Union because that's what they've been told and I, their anger is totally right. So what we are trying to do in London is, uh, first of all, start educating kids. So we have every year at least 1,000 kids educated for free in our kitchen or in growing tomatoes or in cooking, just using their hands to understand that a fast food is flour, water, a little bit of salt, you make pasta in approximately eight minutes. This is fast food and it's healthy. And uh, it's beautiful because now you see these kids coming with their parents to our place and, and they want their parents to talk to our chefs so that they can learn how to cook at home. So you see, this is a process and uh, which is beautiful. And then we are also tackling other issues like as I was telling you, the isolation. So with the elder people who come here who can share food with someone and maybe also two words. And the third point we are doing, the third thing which I'm very proud of is uh, the summer program. Um, when we came here, the council told us about the issue of these uh, less fortunate kids who during the summer school retreat, they do not have access to breakfast and lunch at school anymore. And they actually at home, they cannot have more than one meal per day. And so they asked us what we could do with them if we could offer a meal for one pound, two pounds, these things. I said, listen, we are here to do something, so we don't need this pound. Let's organize something else. Let's organize a summer camp for these kids. So six weeks, we organized it last year, and uh, they used to come and do whatever, yoga classes, gym classes, growing, cooking, whatever. And then we used to tell them, why don't you stay here and eat with us? And we solved the problem without telling them that they needed food. And you dignify people again and dignify the families. And there were 350 kids last year, actually sometimes families, which I'm very happy about. 
And this year we went to 530 and we want to reach 750 next year in each market we open. So you see, we're not doing so much maybe, but we are doing something for each community where we open. And we are not asking any grants, any money, because we are making enough money to deliver this. It's just that it depends, profit is always good. It depends on how you use it. That's the point. Mm -hmm. That's where the greed, greedy part of the capitalism took us to another route. But don't, don't ever forget that the word company comes from companio. It's a Latin word, which means the person with whom you share bread. How did we go from that to extract as much money as you can for your shareholders? That's mm. not the point. No. I hope that's changing. I've, I've interviewed a lot of people who seem to have this, this sort of social responsibility. Uh, Jamal Azal the other day, who from Change Please, the coffee people yeah. in London trying to you know, solve homelessness, Toast Ale as an example. Toast so ale. there does seem to be this recognition. Again, I don't think it was um, pure ignorance. I think it was knowledge. I think as, we, as we're learning, yeah, what is the point? What's the point it of just having point. shareholders right. and money and big digits all over the place and stuff? So I hope we're uh, coming up with a change. I think we are, actually. Yeah, I, I think, think so. there is a big wave so. going yeah. back to what it used to be 70 years ago. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's it. We're not inventing anything no, new. Nothing. We're just nothing going back. All. So with those kids who come in and you need to provide lunch, and I mean, the, the model here is lots of small independent yes. suppliers. So you, you, if they're having lunch here, you pay the suppliers to feed the kids then, do of you? Of course, yes. Yeah. Okay. And I tell you also, frankly, that some of the vendors want to be part want to of do it. it anyway. So yeah. we also have um, a system in which we measure the performance of, our, of the people we incubate, not only in terms of quality and sustainability of their ingredients, in terms also, we also evaluate them in terms of their contribution to the community. So they need to give uh, free classes at least once per month to kids. If they refuse to do it, they will, we will gently escort them out of the door because we are not here just to make money. And uh, this is again a movement, and I must tell you the truth that everyone is complying with that in this moment, um, because they understand that by doing good, you also make more money. At the end of the day, you make more money, but you make them in an ethical way. So you can go to sleep a little bit lighter. I think, it's, I don't think there's many people, as long as they're making the money, I guess the, the difficulty, and maybe it's not, but where you've got 43 different providers under one roof, do you help them make sure they're all making money? Yes. Do they, is it open kind of book? You communicate, you say, look, because you, you want everybody to succeed, basically, to do more good stuff. Don't we you? do but not apply any fixed rent. It's based on percentage. So we already share the risk with them. Okay. They have a percentage on the sale and we give everything to them from light, energy, electricity, security, waste control, which is very tough, business rates, rent, our chefs, our sustainable team, our community team. Basically, we give everything and they have one percentage to pay. That's it. And if they make money, we make money. If they don't, we suffer too. So you see, this is the way I also discuss with my landlords. I'm not paying any rent finished. I'm paying a percentage on what I make. You don't agree with that? I'm not coming. But people are offering us so many locations because we are growing, we make money. And if I tell you that I'm going to pay you 5-6% of my sales on the rent, you're going to make more money than what you expect to make on a, rent, on a fixed rent. This is not a sustainable system anymore. You see how many restaurants are closing, how many shops are closing. Huge. The only people making money, used to make money, were the real estate people. And if they don't change their mind, that's not the system that will continue. They will need people like us. And we will create a partnership with them as well as we create a partnership with our vendors. 
It's an ecosystem. Yeah. We all have to work for a purpose, to yeah. be all well, not only one side. It's a win-win yeah. situation. So is there enough demand? So, you know, 43, was it 30 and you just keep growing because you well, can I see the revenue? 15. Did, has it ever been 60 and you've come down a bit? Or is it, no, is no, no, it, no, it's, it's, it's eternally uh, There's of, no more space. We, if right. I'm asking Peabody to give me another area next to this, we have more than 150 people in waiting list. Really? Yeah. Wow. Does it change very often? Well, no, 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 not, not very often, but uh, we always keep two shucks for pop-ups, okay. which means one month each. So we give opportunity to everybody, mm. and it's also an opportunity for us to understand the way they work, right. to keep them in the loop nice. for the next, probably, the next uh, yeah. markets. We have another shock which we keep only for our special, let's say, programs. Mm. We have a female food founders program. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So that was the one, 2018, was it? Female entrepreneurship yes. scheme. Can you tell yes. me about that? Basically, what we realize is one of the issues in hospitality is that you see a lot of incredible women in this business, but not so many entrepreneurs in this business. So, again, don't forget we are part of the United Nations Global Competence, so women and women empowerment is absolutely necessary. We need to have them more and more because we need diversity. <laughs> we need them to help us in this moment. And so the only way to do it is to give them the chance to prove that they can be an entrepreneur. So we created a, a competition, basically. And I remember at the beginning, where there were 42 ladies. And then uh, the 21 went into the uh, final selection. Then one won. And she came with a very good idea with a spetzel from uh, Germany, a pasta from Germany, and a very good market uh, plan, um, obviously. The food was not fantastic, but because they they need to understand that to 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 cook for 1,000, 2,000 people is different than cooking for a friend, obviously. So we gave her the, the lady who won. We gave her three months of training with our executive chefs, three months of training with our team to educate her a little bit on the mechanics and the economics of a business, and you have to stand for 11 hours here, you cannot just cook. And, uh, and then we gave her the space for three months for free to test it. And she did so well that now she owns one shack by herself and she's making decent amount of money to hire new people and she's very happy. Mm. And uh, the same shack we are using in the next six months for with the uh, founders without borders, which is the refugee. Uh, program and uh, now we have an Uzbeki guy who's cooking amazing uh, Uzbeki dumpling is doing very well and we have we will rotate uh, refugee chefs who have so much to say about their cultures their people and uh, their history and I think that by doing this you are including more people and most of all you are showing the people living here new cultures and the more you eat together with different people the less you want to fight with them because you get to know them and the only thing which really carries us or takes us towards is the unknown is not knowing when you know someone and you eat bread share bread with him very difficult you go to war with him because you know you start talking so these are part of the of the sharks that we keep on rotating for these special purposes. Mm. On average, we have, uh, we tend, we'd like to change at least 20% of the vendors every six months 
because we want to have also new things and we also want to give opportunity. Some of the vendors here who did so well, they open outside. Yep. But what I like about it, there are two or three of them, they're opening with the same values. When they came here, they used to sell normal products sometimes. After six months here, now they are open their own stores around and they use the same values. They're not selling Coca-Cola, they're not selling. So the movement is spreading and this is fantastic for me. I don't need them to be always here, but this is a place where you can start the movement and then they can spread around the world. Yeah, perfect. And when you say that they can work with your chefs, so your exec chefs, is that because you, why have you got chefs? You run one of the, some of the units no. yourself? Or? We need chefs because we need to train people and we have an executive chef who and a team of chefs who controls the operation of each vendor. Wow. So we have, uh, in our contracts, we have uh, the possibility to open their fridges whenever we want. Really? Of course. Awesome. I don't trust anybody. <laughs> we control their ingredients. We have a sustainable team who, at the beginning, the scouting team who controls everything, and then we have a, a sustainable team who controls every single supplier, and we control the invoices. Really? If they try to trick us, we, we get them right away. And then we have the executive chief, a chef who controls the operation, the ongoing operation, the way they work, if they smile, if they do it properly, if they, they, they manage the storage in the right way, and if they are also fast enough to do it. So it seems like an easy exercise, but you need to have so many people working yeah, around this that's huge. to control that you give the best possible product, which is honest, which is nutritious, which is accessible and compatible with the local cultures, yeah. which is the definition of human right to food as written in the Human Declaration of Rights in 1948. It is adequate food, accessible, nutritious and compatible with local cultures. Interesting. Because I think from the outside, it looks, you know, knowing hospitality, it looks like the perfect kind of scenario where you basically you have the spaces and then you outsource all the cooking. But actually, I can see that with your kind of values and ethos and uh, perfectionism that, yeah, you need to get way more involved than it's, it's not just a here's some space, use what it kind of relationship. What you're talking about is the typical uh, failing exercise of the food halls. Mm. They just gather different restaurants who are selling landlord. the same thing, but they just put them under the same roof. There's no community, no sustainability. There's nothing. It's just a new version of the restaurant on the streets. They put them under one roof. Is a disgrace. It's a loss of opportunity from my point of view. Yeah. And that's why we are growing and our margins are exceptional because people want this. The millennium, people want this. They don't want those other places are for people who want to, boo, to get a booze, get drunk, or for tourists who want to go. This is a place for the community. Do That's you create a community important. with all the vendors then? So do, they, do, you, do you have to, uh, I guess you curate it by choosing who comes in and who doesn't come in, but actually once they're in, is there, do you work together? Is oh, there team training? Always. All that kind of stuff? We have yeah. our operation team is in charge only of this, to keep them always in the loop, to talk to them, to organize events with them. So they're all part of Mercato. It's, it's, we cannot live without them and they cannot live without us. It's an ecosystem. Yeah. You have to work in a balanced way with everybody. Big Italian family. It is yeah. a big Italian family. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I think this is where we are Italians, yeah. in the culture, not in the food we serve, in our culture. Yeah. And let's not forget that at the end of the day, we were part of, uh, even London was created by the Romans because we had this idea, I don't know what happened to us later on, but at the time we had this big idea of uh, giving importance to each single culture 
not uh, trying to create a chain of markets where my identity had to be more important than the people living around. So that's why we, every place we choose, or actually at this moment have been, which have been offered to us, we first of all make a big study around the, the area, an anthropological study. We don't do any marketing study. We don't care at all about the footfall. So Imperial College, we are a business case of Imperial College now Harvard, because we are considered to be the case which, on paper, should not exist. We don't advertise, we don't look for footfall, we don't uh, use banks, we don't use sponsors, but we are thriving and growing 70% year on year. So they don't understand how. It's just because we are sincere. We believe in what we do and people feel it and they come, naturally, by word of mouth. That's the only way to work. That's my point of view. And you live here and breathe it and do it every day. How much of it do you think is down to you? No, a lot. <laughs> Obviously a lot. I think that uh, if you're not obsessed with what you do, you cannot achieve anything big. You can do something good, but nothing incredibly big and important. You cannot change the way we perceive the economy if you're not obsessed with what you're doing. So when people tell me that I, I know a lot of things, I can put a lot on myself, yes, it's true. But honestly speaking, I think that 80% is the hard work. Mm. We work on average 16, 18 hours per day. I sleep very little. I don't need to sleep a lot, thanks God. Um, but you have to be here and listen and breathe the atmosphere. Sometimes you don't need to even to listen to what, you need to breathe the atmosphere. Mm. And you immediately feel if something is going on, uh, what's going on, you feel it immediately. And I must tell you that I'm very lucky because uh, we work with a team of people, which is amazing. They, because again, we are not hiring. People who come, they join the movement. If they don't believe in what they're doing, they leave by themselves. They cannot keep the pace with the people who really are fighting for a better future. So my team of people, I got uh, uh, Amedeo, Massimo, Alessio, Titi. I got many Italians because you know that we are... I think the third city in Italy is London, yeah. 700,000 people. Amazing. But we have uh, British people, we have Faraji, we have French people, we have German people. Um, it's a big, big uh, uh, concentration of people who believe in the same values and fight for the same values. So it's not difficult mm -hmm. to ask them to, we do not even have to ask for, to work for more hours. And mind you, that's also another important part we are being accredited, accredited, I think it's said, as uh, um, one company who pays uh, the London living wage. So we pay everyone 10.55 per hour, even the people who clean the tables, because that's part of what you have to do. If you make a profit, you have to share it. You cannot ask people to live in London, pay them seven pounds 30, whatever it is, is the London, the UK minimum wage. Mm. In London, it's not even the London minimum wage, it's the London living wage. In addition to this, we give food, so it's even higher. Mm. You need to respect people if you want to get respect from people. Mm. That's with the people you employ yourself, with the, with yes. your, with the vendors. Are... Can you monitor that as well, or okay. is that down in, to what in, they make? Uh, in, um, in Elephant and Castle, we are going towards that direction with the new vendors. Right. Uh, but in the new one, Elephant Park, we impose it. Okay. Nice. So they need to pay 10.55 yeah. per hour. Amazing. Um, you touched on food waste earlier, and while you're mentioning new places, am I right in saying that the Ilford one is going to have a, a farm on the roof or something yes. like that? That sounds incredible. One of them incredible. is the one in Ilford, yeah. which has been uh, actually 
wanted by the GLA and the Redbridge Council, and they, are, they gave us the biggest ever grant for one single project to open one in Ilford, which, as you know, is an area which is full of potential but needs a place where people can relate to, obviously. And uh, we are going to build on a, again, an abandoned uh, parking lot uh, next to the city council, uh, a 2,400 square meter garden above the market. And it's going to be partially hydroponic and partially uh, permaculture, which is the old way of growing vegetable and food, and food. And so we will sustain as much as we can in a circular economy way our restaurants. That's the way we do it. In waste control also, we, we are working with different, we try always different solutions because there's not a single solution. So apart from obviously having everything here inside here, which is compostable, first of all. And then we also work with maybe a lot of organizations like Paper Round to organize our waste so that as little as potter goes to, uh, to waste uh, and to fields. But um, we are testing our new technology, which uh, actually on the, on the food waste, it liquefies it directly and it goes into the drainage. So we can get rid of a lot of trucks going around. So we are testing every time something new. Uh, an aerobic uh, digester we are, we are going to test very soon because we will need also soil for our, for our uh, gardens. So you see, there's not a single solution. You always have to be very traditional in what you serve, but very innovative in the waste control and the climate change solutions. Yeah, I can see why you've got to do 18 hours a day. It's that, it's that all-encompassing. <laughs> to be fair, Guy at Riverford was the same. He doesn't just grow the vegetables. You know, they deliver the vegetables. They do the marketing. It's, they it's, farm the land. It's kind of like they're all-encompassing. Yeah, you cannot not uh, look at it at, at 360 degrees. Because hmm. if you look only at one side, you're missing the other. So now that we, let's say, created a good market for the products now we are fighting to go back to the sources and try to integrate our policy to the suppliers with the supply which means it's not only the quality it's not only organics i was telling you is do we employ and pay your people the right amount of money in the countryside and they tell you no i can't because you asked me to sell you a vegetable for uh, 10 cents no i'm gonna give you three times the price so in italy i was uh, in troubles because i wanted to pay the milk the double and obviously there was a cartel and it was controlled like it is controlled here. And I remember it was uh, 33 cents per liter. I said, that's not fair. I'm selling it at one pound. I don't need to pay it so little. So I said, I'm going to pay you 50 cents. And the police came to visit me, obviously. So I really don't care. If I need to go to prison, I go to prison. But we need to pay the farmers and the people who fight hard against this climate change also a good enough amount of money because they are they have to be proud they are the guardians of our soils they are the one of the most important part of our society and being a farmer it's cool it's not something that you have to do and it's all, only fighting hard it's super cool we have to thank them every day but we have to pay them the right amount of money so this is a fight i'm gonna start now that i have a market because I can tell you to grow a good vegetable, but then who's going to buy it if it costs three times the price? I'm going to buy it. 
finished. Yeah, it's nice once you've created that. The key is you have to be making a profit, basically, don't you? Once Absolutely. you're making a profit, then you can go all the way back through the chain and, you and make try a profit. and pass it on. So. All the other people are not making profit by selling this uh, stupid, uh, faked, uh, so-called uh, food products. They're not. They're yeah. one percent of uh, restaurants succeed in London after one year. One percent. So change it. We are growing seventy percent. So we are proving a business model here that by doing good, you make more profit. We are opening three new markets with the help of the landlords, and that's it. And with our cash flow, we, are, we do not have a bank loan. So imagine, yeah. there's another way, but you have to work harder. That's yeah. the only thing. Yeah. No compromise and work harder. Yeah, and London's a great city to do it. I think in my hometown of Bournemouth, you have to come down sometime yeah, and will. have a look. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, you need to be somewhere with a, with a mass of people with the right attitude, I think. That's why it's called Mercato Metropolitano. We are now addressing issues in metropolis yeah. where the number of people is now higher in cities in, in, nowadays than in the rural yeah. uh, countryside. So I think we need to start by addressing the issues, the problems of the big cities, because everything starts from there. If we educate the customer in the right way, then we can go back to also have a better products uh, and a better produce. If you start from the producer, but you don't educate, no one will buy it. So that's my version, mm. my way of seeing things. You have to start from the citizens and go back to the farmers. Mm. Are you going to do any out of London? Is there plans already? Not or? yet, not yet. We are going to have by end of by end of next year. We're going to have four in London. Okay. And uh, then we will start with other big cities around Europe, which is Berlin, Lisbon, Milano, Paris, and uh, we already signed uh, five uh, MOUs uh, agreements. Again, not because we are looking for, because people come here, see what we do, and they ask us to go there in uh, New York, Boston, Atlanta, Miami and um, actually too in, uh, in New York. Uh, and I receive requests now from all over the world, at least twice per day, from Ethiopia to Taipei, who wants to join the movement and have something like this in their own country. You're going to need some help, aren't you? You're going to be a busy man. <laughs> but uh, Again, I love it, but uh, it's not because we are developing like all the other chains and we are spreading our organization. It's just because people like me want to open it. So it's easier. They call me because they want to do it. So they just come here, they get trained and they do it. They don't need me. Nice. They need our values. If they believe in the same values, we are not a franchising system. I hate that. Yeah. I think it's also over. It, you, it used to be something in the 80s. Mm. Uh, and now every market has to be built uh, with a grassroots movement with people with local people who want to do it then we will put something of our culture but it's, it needs to be built from scratch yeah. with from the people who live in the location great so if they share your values and your ethos it's advantageous to you if they do it without you just create spaces I that are similar that. around the world I love as that. long as they share the ethos. Because that's a movement. The, yeah. We are not a market in mm. reality. The market, I need this business, this physical location because we have to express a lot of values. So it's just a way to talk to people. But it's the movement which is much more important than any of us. Yeah, and you've started doing some stuff on the movement. So you've got uh, the, is it the farm think tank and the AM ambassadors or yes. whoever you mentioned? Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Because well, that's, that's, that's huge. Way, and when yes. I read that, I was like, wow, this, yes, is, this is. is now global. The farm is a, a think tank, but also soon an academy. So what I also find uh, it difficult is to 
have uh, kids, I call them kids because now I'm 53, so they're all kids, who understand that uh, the world has changed. So we do not have a business model which is yet ready to face the new challenges. And uh, I got people who study, I always say this as a joke, but I got people who study at Imperial College and they are economic people, so money, 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 money. And then I got people from SOAS University with development studies and there's no money, no money, no money, charity, charity, charity. We need both. We need to find a way in the middle. And Olivetti was one, together with my father, was one of my teachers. Olivetti, the guy who basically built an empire on uh, the typing machines and invented the first uh, computer in the world. He created communities when there were none. He created schools for the children of, their, of his employees. That was a business model which was successful and we forgot about it. So I need to find people who understand that we need to be sustainable in the real way, not now in in the Unilever on a sleigh way that uh, they spend this greenwash. Wa- greenwash, the real stuff. So we we are totally into this and we also make money. It's not the other way around. And I need people to understand that we need to, not to grow, that's a stupidity in the world, the economic theory of growth. No, we need to develop. Growth is finished. We cannot grow something in a finite, finite world. Fine. You cannot keep on growing. It's just logical. Someone else is growing. Fewer people are growing and more and more people are starving because we have not solved this problem with the so-called industrial farming. The number of people who are dying for food is still growing. So it's pure, it's a pure lie. Mm. (laughs) I wanted to say something else, but I cannot. (laughs) It's a pure lie. So I need people uh, and students and uh, new new team member to understand that we need to make a profit, but also we need to share this profit with the community. So they need to understand both sides. They need to understand food, but they need to understand climate change. Without this knowledge, they cannot work with us. And I think that most of the universities are still, are going to be dead very soon because they're still teaching business models which cannot apply anymore. And uh, so the farm is also part of this. We are working now with Imperial, with SOAS. We are going to work with Fletcher School. We are working with Polenzo University in Italy. I'd like to create a program which is going to be I say, horizontal and work with different universities and taking the best from each university to train a new, a new team member, uh, a group of people who can help me grow around the world. Um, the thing is... Uh, If you have some of these people, then they become the ambassadors. And some of the ambassadors are already ambassadors because they share our own values. We have a three-layer of ambassadors. The first one are the friends, people who come here and enjoy and want to spread the word. They are our friends. Then we have the followers who want to do a little bit more. And they want to advocate for us and they want to work for us. For instance, when we do the, uh, the, the, the soup for everybody day, So we have 100 uh, volunteers, we chop the vegetables and we offer food and a minestrone to all the residents around and they want to be part of this. So we have uh, a lot of these people, wonderful people. And then we have the ambassador who are people that in their own countries have the capabilities and the knowledge also to think to open a market or to develop a strategy to create a better way for the movement. And they are the ambassador with the double M and we already have some in USA, in Japan, and all around the world. 
And I want to have more of those because it's a movement again. And I think that these are also could be considered as uh, the new embassies of the future where we talk about the real issues, not where we offer drinks for uh, stupid political reasons. Uh, these are the real embassy of people. Yeah. That's and, why. And, and do you have somebody specifically in the business that, that's developing that and running with it? Or is this a, is this a, a side project? From... No, no, it's, we have a team on this. Yeah. We have a team on this and uh, we are developing it. Yeah. I'm, in this case, I'm in charge of this too because yeah. uh, it's creating the infrastructure of uh, people around the world to facilitate the development of the movement. Yeah, amazing. Well, good luck. I'll, thank uh, you very yeah, much. Well, uh, I'll, I'll be an ambassador in the, in the way that I can at least keep shouting oh, about it on the, thank you very on much. the podcast. But so you many, already are. Well, so many people that I interview, and I think I'm naturally drawn to the people who who yeah who are trying to do hospitality, but with a conscience, you know, to, who recognise that you know hospitality is tens of thousands of years old, isn't it? This is not. That's it's only recently that, that, particularly in the UK, I think I'll be interested in your opinion on this. But we, the venture capitalists seem to have tried to turn hospitality into a commodity and to roll it out. It's more of a property play than it is a hospitality play. I don't see that. When I go to France and to Italy, I don't see it in the same way, but I don't know the country as well. Do we have a similar problem on the continent or is this a very British problem? Well, you, 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 venture capitalism. Mm. <laughs> you want to open this I can chapter? see you starting to explode. There's steam coming out of your ears, Andre. <laughs> they used to come here, you don't know how many times, right. asking me always the most stupid question in the world. Mr. Raska, you have a business model here which is going to explode. Wonderful. Let, we want to participate. Oh, fantastic. And then they asked uh, the usual stupid questions. What is your way out? What's your exit strategy? <laughs> and I said, you know, what is my exit strategy? I always replied the same way. And Amedeo, Amedeo Claris, who's my CEO and is also a lawyer and is my partner in this venture with, together with other very good friends of mine, he knew that at that moment he had to leave the room because he knew my reply. <laughs> and my reply was always the same. Was, uh, you see the door? My office, that's my exit strategy every evening and my entry strategy every morning. Please leave this room. These people want just to make money in seven years' time. They don't understand anything about food, community, people. They don't care. They are they're the worst part of business of society in that sense. They're not all like this, obviously. There are people who are trying to do it in a different way. I've not yet met them, actually. <laughs> no. But I'm sure there are yeah, some of agreed. them. Yep. Um, the only thing I don't want them to come to say, we have an ethical department. I want you to be ethical, agreed. 360 degrees. Yep. You do not have to greenwash your... Uh, your you, you can't delegate you know, can't being delegate ethical, can you? Mm -hmm. Either you believe in it or you don't. So yeah. there are some of them, possibly. Let's say that uh, I've not met them yet. So the system here, that's why it's failing, it's because in the hands, every time a venture cap buys out a small corner or a small restaurant, they want to build an empire out of it, they're gonna kill it because they start uh, uh, looking at the costs of goods instead of offering a better value to the clientele because they need to make these three months profit schemes for their own investors that's not the way to do it mm -hmm. and I've seen uh, a lot of chains failing just because of that instead in our case the shareholders are friends and uh, at the end of the month our report is uh, around the table and we eat 
culatello di Parma all together and we drink wonderful uh, Barolo wine and we ask how many kids have we educated this month? How many people are smiling around here? And the money, is it coming? Are we paying all the salaries? Boom, then that's enough. Mm. And we pay the VAT this month, <sighs> done. That's it. So you see, it's more of a lifestyle. This is our lifestyle. We love this lifestyle. So we don't need more money. Why do I need two cars? I don't have a car. I don't own anything because I don't like the concept. Uh, but why would you need two cars? How many, I always say, it, how many asses have you got? One. So stop buying things you don't need. That's the other aspect of capitalism. Mm. Buy what you need if you need it. If not, just share it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, well, the sharing economy is definitely changing. That that VC kind of issue, which I, I sort of blame on London, I guess, and and the history and the you know the greed and the money and the growth. Is is it is it the same on the continent? Is it the same in Italy? Do you have that issue? Because I don't go not, to Italy and see chains. No. But you see, you see, in in major cities, maybe Milan and Rome, you can find something like this. But Italy is the, the, it's called the country of the 100 cities because we have so many important cities. Mm. So Siena is as important as Florence, as important as Venice, Naples, etc., uh, etc. Et but in the biggest two, Rome and Milano, maybe you can find something like this. Uh, you have some McDonald's around uh, Italy too. So there are some cases yeah. of a bad capitalism, a bad hospitalism. Yeah, Hospital. but not as many. You don't not seem to many. see the same, you know, like you drive across the well, UK. I think you it's see more UK and chain, chain, uh, USA. Yeah, it seems to be, doesn't it? It's UK a shame. USA. frustrating. Yeah. It's frustrating, but I think yeah. it's changing. Yeah. Honestly, sometimes in the in the country where you see the worst, uh, you also see the best. Because the people who are adverse to this, they are stronger. They're getting stronger and stronger. And uh, First of all, the, the clientele, the people, the citizens, they don't want to repeat the same experience. Why should they go to a chain of restaurants in each country you live? You want to eat local and understand the culture of the places. So if you go to any shopping mall, which for me is, is again, is another death of humanity space, huh? where you force people to go just to buy, because you told them that they need a new pair of sneakers and you, they need this and they need that, and they don't need anything at all apart from being happy, uh, you find the same chains of, uh, of restaurants and you eat the same chicken, the same uh, burger in every place. How can it be good? There's no soul, there's no anything in that. Yeah. So although you don't need things, you have an incredibly eclectic mix of different providers from around the world. Do you still travel a lot to get your inspiration? Do you think no, that no, you need to travel because you need to connect people? Yeah. When you when you're stuck in a place, your vision diminishes immediately. You need to be exposed to as many cultures as you can mm. to then attract them and create this mix of cultures inside your places. If mm. you if you think you are fine in one location, again you are dead. Mm. You're very near death. Do you know Danny Meyer? The yeah, New of York, yeah? So he talks about how, how, we are, how we make people feel. That's our industry, isn't it? It's all about how we make people it's feel. It's all but about that. When you were talking earlier about you kind of constantly being here and walking around the space and stuff, and, and I think it is, it's that feeling. You know, you know, I walk into my venues and it's how they feel. You, like you say, you do it with your eyes closed. You can just you shut your eyes and you can listen and the hum of the people and the clinking glassware and the The way the they movement. look at each other, the yeah. way they drink, the yeah. way they look at their plates. You need to recognize it. If they start looking very often at their stupid, uh, 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 whatever, iPhones devices. or Samsung devices, 
and instead of spending time with the person in front of them, there's something wrong. Yeah, the art of the restaurateur. Well, I'm very nearly there. A couple of quick questions. So um, your role must have changed over the years, well, especially with all the different jobs you've done. Out of everything you've talked about, what, what thing gives you the most reward now? When you wake up in the morning, what is it that gets you buzzing and excited more than anything else? And you do so much. I, 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 it must be a struggle. I think it's um, having created, uh, see my, my team around me. And when I say team, is also all of the people who come here to join us because they're part of the team too. Without them, we wouldn't be here. They are part of the ecosystem. So it's people. Yeah. Seeing people smiling around me and empowering people, giving opportunity to new entrepreneurs, because that's the way, yeah? We cannot have a work nine to five anymore. People should be entrepreneurs of themselves more and more and more. And this is what makes me really proud to see these faces or people making it. That's really... I think it's probably one of the most exciting things about your concept, and not just yours, you know, others do it as well. But uh, yeah, the fact that you don't, you know, it's not all about you, is it? It's kind of like, they're all these different providers and suppliers, and they've all got their own little micro businesses exactly. within your big business. And the more I hear about how you nurture and encourage and develop within that, so you've got the benefits of maybe a big business, but also the benefit of an independent little small entrepreneur. Small is beautiful. Yeah, lots of small. the book of Schumacher 1973, I encourage everyone to read it. He was talking about this. Yeah, okay, Remain small, that. even if you grow. Yeah, nice, nice concept. So uh, hopefully a lot of people will listen to this and they'll be inspired, yes, just to come and eat and drink. But more than that, if they want to join uh, the movement and, and join the click, journey, where, should, uh, they, where should they go? Go on our website, join the movement and send us your ideas. You want to start your own bookstore, you want to start your own cinema, your own business, come and talk to us. We are going to organize from next March one day of uh, pitching ideas. Really? We are going to listen to anyone who wants to come with an idea. We have locations. Let's build something together. So if you want to change the world, you have our same values we have. So just download our manifesto before you talk to us. And if you agree with all of that, come with your ideas and let's create a better world all together. Amazing. Where do they go to get the manifesto? On the website of yeah. mercatometropolitano.com. Okay, perfect. I will put some links onto the uh, website as well, humansofhospitality.co.uk. Uh, anything else you want to say, Andre? You've covered so much. Have we missed anything? <laughs> no, I think it's fine. And, and it's great that there is someone like you who's trying to spread the word of a better hospitality system and a different way of doing it. I hope so. It's, yes. it's, it's called the humans of hospitality rather than the brands of hospitality for a reason. It's all about human beings and And you know that we have a program called the humans of a man with a double M, obviously, humans. Oh, really? Where we take picture of all the people working here or coming yeah. here and we tell the stories of I these people. That. Stories. That's stories is the reason stories. for being on the planet. It's Everybody's stories. story. Story. Yeah. Andre, it's been uh, an utter pleasure. Thank you for sparing the time. Thank you very much. And let's go to have a pizza now. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. And remember that on the website, humansofhospitality.co.uk, every week we put on some show notes and some links through to the various websites or social media that are mentioned. And we also do a nice little breakdown of that week's conversations into specific topics. So you can jump through the podcast and just listen to some of the highlights if you wish. If you've not done so already, if you could leave us a review on iTunes or one of the other podcast players of your choice that would be hugely appreciated thank you so much and uh, we'll be out with another episode next monday <laughs>